Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode 150 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the Alpo. Thank you for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes various, sister, various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you're on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash observersnotebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. Find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, uh, commemorating our 75th anniversary of the ALPO with one of our longtime lunar and planetary observers. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to episode 150 of the Observer's Notebook. It's another in our 75th anniversary of the ALPO, and today we're very lucky to have with us ALPO member, lunar planetary astronomer, and recent recipient of the Overbeck Medal for its outstanding astronomical work in South Africa, uh, and also our most recent 2022 Walter Haas Observer's Award recipient during our latest conference. Uh, uh, that means we're talking to Clyde Foster. Welcome, Clyde. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me on the show. An absolute pleasure. And uh, let me just kick off by uh, saying how much I appreciate the the award from uh, Alpo this year. Um, it, it means an awful lot to me, and I really appreciate the the awards committee and and yourself. Um, for for the award, uh, Tim. Well, thank thank you very much. It was well well deserved, and a few people think it was long time coming too for you. So that was good. Um, before we get into it, though, why don't we just why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? <clears throat> no, hundred uh, percent, Tim. Um, yeah, born in Liverpool in the UK, um, nineteen fifty seven. Uh, just. Uh, Stayed in Liverpool just for a few short years, and the family moved to to the south of Manchester. Um, normally, keep very quiet about my Liverpool roots because I'm a fanatical Man United supporter. Um, we stayed <laughs> a few years, and uh, both my parents are are Scottish or were Scottish, um, so I've got a very strong Scottish heritage. And 
we actually moved back up to uh, the Motherwell area between Glasgow and Edinburgh for a few years. Uh, that was in the late 1960s. And in fact, that's uh, that's where my interest in astronomy was was born. Uh, when we moved up to, to Scotland, there was a, a teacher's strike on, hmm. interestingly enough, and we were then required as as young uh, young uh, school guys to to do a project and we weren't allowed to to do the project on our football team because that would have been first choice for, <laughs> for most young boys but um obviously with the apollo missions on the go and the, the race to the moon um i started off a project with uh, with space travel and whereas we were meant to do one project book over the, the course of a term, I ended up producing five project books. Oh my. And during that exercise, uh, my interest refocused from space travel to, to actually astronomy. And um, that, that was really what got me up and going as a, as a youngster. And um, it's been an ongoing interest of mine throughout, throughout my life. As I'm sure we'll get to it just now. Um, obviously, the last eight years have taken on a, a much more serious um, mm -hmm. aspect in terms of my interests. But yeah, we um, in 1970, my dad was offered a position with Marconi Marine uh, out in Durban in South Africa. And after the after World War II, he'd, he'd been in the Merchant Navy. Um, he he um, went on various. Uh, shipping journeys around the world and he actually stopped in Durban um, back in the um, 19, late 1940s and that's actually where he, he got my mom's engagement ring oh. and, he, and he loved um, Durban so when he was offered the opportunity um, we packed up as a family and then came out to South Africa um, I went through high school there, <clears throat> got my chemical engineering degree at the University of Natal. And yeah, I had had what I would consider a reasonably positive and uh, successful career as a chemical engineer, um, eventually retiring in, in 2016. And um, yeah, really from 2014, when I bought the C14, um, that's really where, where the serious aspect of my planetary imaging um, and involvement in the pro-am community kicked in. Okay. Well, you really jumped in with both feet at that point, didn't you? Sorry? You jumped in with both feet at that time into, into astronomy. Um, and both arms, head. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, uh, you, you, you mentioned the teacher strike and you had to do projects. Was that the event or the you were talking about the Apollo program? What event or person actually sparked your interest in astronomy? There was no specific person at, at the time. I was obviously aware of um, Patrick Moore mm -hmm. um, and the programs on TV uh, back in back in those days. Um, but it, it was really, I'd, I'd started reading books, um, took paper clippings, and that all formed part of the part of the project. So I don't think I can say anyone specific. What, what I did have, though, Tim, was tremendous support from both my mom and my dad. And uh, within a year of me showing interest in astronomy, uh, my dad bought me my first 
telescope, small little refractor. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the book that it, it came with, um, there was a moon map and there was also a book. Um, I can't remember. I've got it on my bookshelf here, but I, I can't remember the name offhand. But um, I've still got that uh, that book. The telescope is obviously long gone. Right. But both my mom and my dad were, were seriously um, encouraging. That's great. Of, of my interests. That's great. That That's really good. And your first telescope said was a small refractor, like a 60 millimeter or something like that, probably. Yeah, probably an inch and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's. I, I think we all started there too. It's time. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, what about a dream telescope? If you could, I know you have C fourteen now, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, and if what if you had any telescope you wanted, what would you really like to have? Uh, Tim, that's that's been something seriously on my mind over these last couple of years. Mm -hmm. There's obviously financial aspects with me right. in retirement, and um, sure, I, I would say. Uh, either a 400 millimeter uh, classical Cassegrain, maybe obviously mm -hmm. a specialist um, planetary telescope, mm -hmm. or maybe a DK. Mm -hmm. um, I think from a financial perspective, if if I do get there, um, I think some of the leading planetary images are putting exceptional images out with with like 0.5 meter Newtonians mm -hmm. with excellent optics. So yeah, maybe um, a, a 400 to 500 millimeter um, Newtonian with with really good um, optics. Interesting. I, I would have thought, being a planetary guy, you would have hedged toward a refractor. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the work that we're doing, I think there's very few leading planetary images that are are using um, refractors. I think I think aperture. Is is a is a big issue, Tim? It's the key now. Uh, I would say so, and um, yeah, the the Schmidt Cassegrains, uh, and I think the um, the the bigger Newtonians are pretty much the 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 tools of choice at this stage. Okay, all right. Well, you mentioned uh, the Alpo, and how did you first get involved with the organization, Tim? Uh, things developed. Um, I think it's a it, it's a bit of a story. Um, I once I got the C fourteen, I, I was aware of a few of the leading planetary images. Chris Go and Damien Peach, in particular, were were huge influences on my early development with the um, with the online um, tutorials and um, and YouTube videos that they they'd, they'd put out <clears throat> and. I, as, as I was starting to take images, um, my first um, connection had, had always been, I'd, I'd been a member of the BAA uh, on and off over the, over the years. And quite, quite honestly, I wasn't aware of too many other astronomical societies. Um, okay, the Webb Society also in the UK had been um, of interest to me when I was young. Um, when I was looking at deep sky objects. And um, so my first connection was with the BAA and I started submitting images um, regularly to, to the, the section directors there. Um, and then I became aware of the Alpo Japan uh, database and I started 
submitting there. And of course, the interaction, online interaction, built up fairly, fairly quickly. And somewhere in that process, I became aware of the, the Alpo as well. Mm. And uh, then I started building up the relationships with, um, with Jul- uh, Julius Benton, um, Richard Schmood, um, in terms of the specific planets that I was interested in. And, and, and those were basically started off with Mars and then Jupiter and, and Saturn. And um, I started submitting the, uh, my images to the international databases, including the, the, the PVOL uh, European um, database. And what was tremendous was the, the building up of, of the relationships um, with, the, with the various people in the, in the organizations. And I, I think I've, I've developed very close um, bonds with the with the directors or head, heads of the um, the Alpo um, sections, mm-hmm. um, which I which I greatly uh, appreciate. But and I've actually got um, a couple of uh, Julius's books on my shelf, I think, and Richard, I think, um, just looking across. Um, so it, it it was wonderful for me being a relatively new in the game planetary imager to you know have direct contact with these highly regarded and highly esteemed um contacts in in the community um and i'm glad to say that those relationships have have, have built up very very positively yeah very good very good so you've been into astronomy since you were a kid um what what are some of the major advances you've seen in amateur astronomy Look for for many many years. My, you know, I think that's the way that life goes. Obviously, I I had serious. I, I took my career very very seriously, mm-hmm. um, and I think I went. Uh, I think I can fear fear to say that I went a bit above and beyond, and uh, that brought its own pressures over over the years in terms of family, mm-hmm. etc. But then I, I've got two wonderful. Uh, children a, a, a young a boy and a, a girl both in their 30s now so they're not that young uh, but two wonderful um, kids uh, got a wonderful relationship with them so my career and my family uh, really took precedence um, over the years um, Tim and um, you know the development of my astronomy was very fairly in, informal mm-hmm. Um and I just didn't have the time. But as as the years went went by, I I gradually got. I, I was in a position where financially I could get bigger and better um, telescopes, and the um, and I dabbled, if you can if you can say, in in, in my astronomy, um, until the point where I, I took the very serious decision in 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 terms of the uh, the C fourteen. And that that just put me on a on a totally different track um, altogether. Yeah, that, that 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 path you took that story is very similar to a lot of people I talked to on this podcast. That they had a they had an interest in their youth, and then life happens, and then yeah. when you get older, you're able to you have the means to really dive into 
the hobby or any hobby. A lot of people, you know, I have friends that are into trains. They were into trains when they were young. They got away. Now they have a house and now they built a train set in their backyard. So it's, it's the same type of thing. You just, you, 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 you find if, if you have the love for it, it sticks with you. And then when you're finally able to um, get to it, it's there for you. Correct. Just kind of nice. Yep. Very nice. So um, you have a, or you had a spot named after you. Can we talk about Clyde's spot? Uh, absolutely. Uh, something I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And, uh, you know, as an amateur astronomer, I, I don't know if there's anything that, that can pay, can pay with mm-hmm. something like that, um, Tim. So the, as, as my interaction with the, with the pro-am planetary community built up, um, I became aware, and in fact, I was invited by one of my uh, colleagues, Marc Delcroix, in, in France, mm-hmm. um, who has very strong links in the Pro-Am community. Um, and he made me aware of the, uh, the NASA Juno mission to, to Jupiter, um, which went into orbit at, at, at Jupiter in 2016. And the mission team had put certain um, principles or philosophies in place where they wanted um, pro-am or citizen science um, involvement from the public. So they'd, they'd gone out on, on the, the specific Juno website, uh, Juno mission. Um, I think two primary um, requests from their side was that they were quite happy to put the images from the spacecraft out in public so that people could apply their artistic um, license to interpreting and processing the the images, which are, as I'm sure you're aware, the the Juno images are just Mm -hmm. insanely amazing. And... um, Another aspect of the, the the interaction with the amateur community was that, um, as you may know, the Juno spacecraft is in a highly elliptical 53-day orbit. So it swings way out from Jupiter and then swoops in low over the cloud tops every 53 days on the Perigove um, close flybys. And those typically, the, the spacecraft is, is, is coming in Typically, in the range of four thousand kilometers above the cloud tops, it's it's just remarkable. But um, the spacecraft is not in a position where it can give a global um, view of the planet um, in its entirety. So, one of the requests from the the NASA Juno mission team was for the amateurs to image the planet. Um, approximately a week before and then during and then uh, up to a week after the the Perigeau flyby uh, to allow um, global context of these close-up images uh, that the the spacecraft is is taking. So myself and a a number of amateurs across the world um, have dropped into a bit of a routine of every 53 days or give or take a week to try and capture the the path of the spacecraft because it's it's obviously a very narrow path that it flies over uh, being so close to the planet 
um, to identify any interesting um, features that the spacecraft may uh, may pick up during mm. its uh, flyby. So on PJ27, Perijov 27, uh, that's exactly what I was doing two days before the flyby. I was specifically imaging that um, the track of the spacecraft, which would fly fairly close to the, uh, the Great Red Spot on, on that specific um, flyby. And I, I was going through my normal routine of capturing red, green, blue images repeatedly uh, to produce a color image mm -hmm. of, of Jupiter. And then um, over the last couple of years, I've dropped into uh, infrared um, imaging. So I took my infrared um, captures. And then uh, we also, uh, in the planetary community, have, have, are using more and more methane um, captures at uh, 890 nanometer uh, wavelength. And um, whereas I, on screen, when I was looking at or capturing the data, I, I really couldn't detect anything particularly unusual in, in the color captures and the infrared. But as soon as um, I turned the filter wheel to the, uh, the methane um, wavelength, I could see straight away that there was something unusual um, between the Great Red Spot and Oval BA. Um, there was this bright spot. And my first thought was that it, um, it was possibly uh, an impact okay. uh, because we obviously, uh, again, the community is, is, is quite dedicated in terms of trying to detect um, impacts on Jupiter, and there's been some success there. And um, But I, I sat and I watched it, and it, it, it just remained. So I realized that it wasn't. Then, of course, the, the next thing is you just check quickly whether it, it's maybe one of the satellites, um, the moons. And uh, I quickly ruled that out. And um, so I, I actually was capturing quite good data. The, con the conditions were actually quite good. So I very quickly um, started circulating the specifically the methane um, image. And of course, that generated quite a bit of excitement because the and uh, at that stage I was communicating directly with the NASA mission team, uh, Dr. Glenn Orton, and um, and his colleagues, and it was obvious that the the spacecraft would be able to capture this um, this feature two days later, mm -hmm. um, and that what the methane um, wavelength does, uh, Tim is that features that are bright are actually high in the Jovian atmosphere. Um, so for example, the, the Great Red Spot shows as, as bright uh, because the upper levels of the Great Red Spot are um, elevated in the, in the Jovian, Jovian atmosphere. So it was very quickly identified that this was a, a, a convective, um, quite aggressive storm system that had, had popped up. Now, Andy Casely in, in Australia had captured, um, he didn't have very good conditions, but he captured the same region about 10 hours earlier, one rotation of Jupiter, and uh, there was nothing visible oh. where this bright spot was. So effectively in those 10 hours between Andy's capture and mine, this storm had erupted vigorously in the upper atmosphere of Jupiter. And I was obviously able to, to see it um, 
and circulated the images. Um, the uh, the NASA team was obviously very excited, and they, I, I think the rest is history. They <laughs> Juno captured these amazing um, views of of the uh, the storm. Um, funny enough, Paul Maxson, um, I think uh, he's uh, also a Haas Award winner. Yep. Um, he uh, he first coined the term Clyde Spot uh, within a within a day, I think, of, of me <laughs> detecting it. And of course, other amateurs started imaging it. Um, right. But I was obviously credited with the with the initial detection in in methane band, and um, yeah. Um, NASA obviously played the role. They put out um, a, a press release um, within a month of the the flyby, and I was expecting a mention maybe of, <laughs> of the storm. And and they headlined the um, the press release client spot on Jupiter. That's fantastic. And, and of course, that was that that just drove a, a lot of publicity um, and and uh, and general interest. Um, Tim, a year later, uh, Juno flew over the, the the storm, which had taken on uh, a, a new structure, um, and they put out a second press release. Juno returns to client spot. So those those two um, um, press releases obviously meant meant a lot in terms of, of publicity. Oh yeah, that that type of thing just gives you the personal satisfaction that all those years at the eyepiece and and at the computer processing these images pays off in something like this. That's just, it's more than money. You know, it really is. It's just, it's uh, the recognition. Me, the recognition is really awesome. I mean, that's. that. that I, I keep on saying, you know, yes, it's extremely rewarding. Um, but at the end of the day, I think myself and, and the colleagues that I work with in this community, you know, we're out there night after night, mm-hmm. primarily because we love what we're doing. I, I think, You're right? I think, I think that's the key driver for us. Um, but for me, at this stage of my life, uh, okay, I'm in my mid sixties now, mm-hmm. um, and to feel that you can make a contribution, a serious contribution. Um, in, in terms of planetary science and and interaction with the, the the professional planetary science community, is is something very very special and 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 important to me, um, and not only with the professional community but obviously my fellow colleagues in the right. in the amateur planetary um, imaging community and um, but to to have your uh, your contribution and your work recognized and acknowledged um, in terms of something like this, um, and not only something like this, but the, the various awards that I've been very privileged to 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 receive um, means an awful lot. I, I keep on saying, yeah, it's not the reason why we do it, um, but at the same time, it keeps the the fires of your enthusiasm yes. um, burning that little bit brighter. I think when 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 you your your contribution is is acknowledged, um, and 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 let me just say in terms of of client spot, what was the the general interest and general public publicity was was nice, but for me, and I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes here, but 
the planetary science group at the uh, University of Bilbao in Spain, um, uh, Dr. Agustin Sanchez La Vega um, and his team um, have uh, formally researched the um, client spot over the, the period of about two years. Um, and of course, the, the, one of the key guys in that team is, is Ricardo uh, Uezo. And um, earlier this year, the, uh, there were two papers published um, formally. Um, and the fact that Clyde Spot um, is accepted, the term is accepted in those formal papers, um, I, I think is, um, you know, what it means to me is that Clyde Spot is now um, recorded in formal scientific literature and formal Jovian scientific literature and as i say as an amateur i i don't know if if you can even dream a story like that up that, that's 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 i have no words that's pretty awesome i just that's yeah yeah the recognition you get for something like that it just it's like i said i have no words for it that's amazing yeah so you've done this where do you go from here Sure, Tim. We we just got back from Namibia. I spent the last six weeks in Namibia, and and for the first time in these eight years, I, I've been ser seriously distracted from my planetary imaging. Uh, you, you won't see any recent images from me. Um, but the reason for that six weeks was that uh, we had applied for permanent residence in Namibia, and. Um, Pleased to say that last Wednesday I received all the formal documentation finalized, formalized. Um, so myself and Marina, my, my wife, we'll spend the next six weeks packing everything up here, including dismantling the observatory. Um, and we are moving onto a farm in the, um, in the Gamsburg region, which is about 100 um, kilometers southwest of, of Vintuk. Uh, you've got the Gamsberg Mountain. And the first time I heard about the Gamsberg um, was when a couple of years ago when I got um, I was in discussion with with Damien Peach, and I, I, I was aware that he'd done extensive investigation across the world as to where were the best conditions for for planetary imaging. And of course, you may be aware he, he heads off to Barbados. Right. Uh, you've got lamina on on uh, onshore flow, uh, giving exceptionally stable conditions, um, even at sea level. And I asked him, and did he did he look at any regions in in southern Africa? And, and he mentioned the the Gamsberg. And in fact, the Gamsberg mountain itself has been identified for many many years as as a prime astronomy um, region. Uh, in fact, at one stage, some of the large telescopes that have now ended up in Chile, uh, they were looking to put um, at, at the Gamsberg in, in Namibia. Um, but because of political reasons back in, in those days, um, that uh, that didn't happen, unfortunately. But there, there are, you've got the International Amateur Observatory, uh, which is run by the Germans. Uh, they've got facilities on top of the Gamsberg mountain and also at the Hakos uh, 
Astro Farm at the bottom of the Gamsberg, but still it's about 1,800 meters altitude. And uh, we were introduced to a farmer um, who's got two huge farms. Uh, The combined area of the two farms, I think, is 24,000 hectares. Uh, So they're they're huge. And uh, we've arranged with him that we will um, move into one of the secondary uh, farm um, houses on um, on the farm. In fact, where the um, the Hess Observatory is currently located, which is an impressive facility, a gamma ray observatory, um, operated by the Max Planck Institute from from Germany. Um, the primary telescope there, the CT five, has got an equivalent diameter of of twenty eight meters. So it's really impressive facilities, and, and we'll be on the same farm as as the Hess um, Observatory. But it's uh, there's a number of reasons why we looked at that. It, it's not only my my personal astronomical interest, but that obviously had quite a strong um, influence. Um, Tim uh, Marina grew up on grew up on a farm in in South Africa, so she's used to farm life. Mm-hmm. And at this stage of our lives, to be out, I'm a great outdoor person, uh, always have been. So to live out in that environment um, for these coming years, however long we spared, um, is something that we, we're really, really looking forward to. The IAS um, is about half an hour's drive from, from our uh, place on the farm. And I, during the last few weeks, I formalized my membership there and that will give me access intermittently to um, some very nice <clears throat> telescopes in the 0.5 meter to 0.8 meter diameter range wow, um, wow. typically newtonians um, which have produced some very nice um, planetary images so that'll that'll supplement my regular imaging with the with the c14 that's fantastic. You'd be living the dream, you know? <laughs> yeah. Look, you asked where, what, what's the way forward. Um, I think I'm dedicated to following the path that I'm on. Look, we're going to bottle one skies. Wow. <laughs> so to, 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 not, to not dabble in, in deep sky is, is, is going to be difficult, I think. But having said that, my planetary imaging um, is almost a full-time uh, occupation for me or pastime. Uh, interestingly enough, the signpost for the Tropic of Capricorn is is literally 21 kilometers south of the farm. So, so we're just north of the tra- Tropic of Capricorn, which practically means that the planets can't really go much lower than about 44 degrees um, for me oh. under the worst possible conditions. Um, and I believe at 44 degrees. Um, I should still be able to contribute, um, hopefully, some some reasonable um, images. Second aspect, um, in terms of the way forward, I haven't shared too openly, but I am busy writing a book on my experiences and, and my journey into um, planetary imaging. Um, I, I see it as um, a tribute um, Hopefully, uh, once it's done, uh, it'll be a, a bit of a tribute to the 
the the community, the the, the pro and planetary community that um, I'm um, I'm very much uh, part of. That's uh, that's how I see it. That's fantastic. And when the book comes out, please let us know, and we'll have you on the podcast to talk about it. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a bit of a long-term uh, project, not not least of all, just purely because of the time commit, commitment that right. I have with my regular imaging. And uh, a, a further question that's been in my mind, um, because I've, I've obviously been a, a co-author on a number of papers now, uh, professional papers, um, and the question is whether I don't actually explore maybe some formal studies in, in in planetary science but again it's something it, it it would be purely for my own personal satisfaction mm. um uh tim but again i wouldn't want that to distract from my primary ob- objectives um in in my imaging oh i, I hear you i hear you. yeah it, the, the, and you really bring to light what i really love about astronomy is unlike other sciences, amateurs can can collaborate with professionals on on every level in in this hobby. And that's what I love about it. I mean, your observations have been used by NASA, you know, they're used in in professional papers. And that's just, you don't see that in other other hobbies. And astronomy is really, you're you're able to do it with amateur equipment, you know? Tim, yeah, if I can just share a few little things. When I mentioned Mark Delcroix a Mm -hmm. little bit earlier regarding the Juno mission, but it was Mark that in early 2017, I'd been pumping out Mars images for for the previous two and a half years, and I'd obviously developed a little bit of a reputation in terms of um, Mm -hmm. consistent submissions, not necessarily the best images because they weren't the best images but that it was a learning curve and he he proposed that i attend the um the european planetary science congress which was going to be held in september that year in uh, in latvia riga riga latvia and i nearly fell off my chair when i saw that that email and i said uh, no how can you how can you talk talk like this and um, there was obviously a pro-am session at, at that conference. And um, he said, well, look, there's other presentations in, in that uh, the pro-am section on, on the other planets, but no one's really doing anything on Mars. You're, you're the Mars guy. Come mm. and talk. Wow. And I said, well, okay, but, but uh, uh, sorry, I just can't afford this. And then it came out that they, um, the Europlanet Society, who, who obviously – um, drives the the, the EPSC uh, conferences or congresses every year, and they provide some funding to to amateurs such as as myself um, and other professionals. Um, and yeah, I, I was able to attend that year and uh, and and present and and I followed that up with um, with various other international presentations in in London um, and Geneva. Um, unfortunately, I, I couldn't go to Spain this year because of the the whole Namibia um, thing. But if I can just give you one very brief anecdote from when I arrived in Riga, um, I'd obviously met John Rogers previously from the the BAA, and 
we were sitting in the pub in the in the restaurant or not in the restaurant in the hotel and i'd already been introduced online to dr glenn orton of the um of the nasa juno uh, mission team and we were sitting having drinks at, at at the bar and then this this chap walked up and obviously john and, and glenn uh, both knew him very very well and they introduced me uh, to him and this this gentleman he, he looked at me and he said you're clyde <laughs> from south africa and i wasn't quite sure how to take it but um i said yes and he went on um to express his um appreciation for the contribution that i was making to the professional planetary science community now this gentleman that i've just been introduced to was dr lee fletcher from the university of of, of leicester who is 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 very well known although i didn't know it at the time as one of the leading planetary scientists in the study of the the um the atmosphere atmospheres of the the gas giants um just out of interest he's a visiting astronomer on the james webb telescope as well oh okay and um, so extremely highly regarded and it was only when i realized who i was actually talking to did things start clicking into place that i was on an amazing journey i didn't know where it was going but i i, I was on a on a train um heading in an amazing direction and um that that's been the story of the these last um few years to to have and I've had it when I was in Geneva. I was sitting at the back of one of his presentations. There was one of the larger presentation halls, and he was giving his presentation. And there was next minute there, there was spacecraft images, Hubble, but then a few of my images popped up as well. And and then in the middle of his talk, he he pointed at the back. Say he said, "Yeah, I see Clyde at the back there." And uh, mm. great job that he's doing. Um, you know, supporting the 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 professional community and you know that that's just in, in insane but it's something that i appreciate in terms of the work that i'm doing is being acknowledged and appreciated um, and the motivation and the motivation that gives you as well to strive to go even further and better and it's 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 there man it's yeah as I say, it just keeps the, the the fires burning a little bit brighter yeah. and hotter than than um, than they maybe would have been. Um, it's wonderful. That's fantastic! Wow. Um, is there any additional information you'd like to share with our listeners about yourself and your experiences? Um, sure. I think I think we've covered most of the most most of the stuff. Um, Tim, as I say, what's important to me is is number one the enjoyment. Um, you know, you can't be out there night after night, sometimes having horrible seeing conditions um, and, you know, just continuing um, without that enjoyment that you get. I, every time I see one of those planets come on my computer screen in the observatory, you, you just feel that little bit of a buzz as to whether there's anything new that's going to be visible um, or not. So I think from 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 that perspective, the uh, the main thing is is the the personal enjoyment that myself and and my colleagues um, you know get out of this.
But for me, at this stage of my life, to feel that I can contribute in the way that I'm I'm doing um, is is another key driver for me. It's uh, you know wonderful. I, I think a lot of people when they retire, they, if I don't know what they do <laughs> if they mm-hmm. don't they don't have um, an interest like uh, like this. But it, to to me, it's a new life uh, that I find myself. Um, on and and quite honestly, I don't think we would have considered, you know, the Gamsberg region of Namibia, um, unless I had found myself on this this track. And as I say, there's other drivers for us to go there, um, but certainly my planetary imaging is a, is is a major factor as well. It's true, and you obviously have a very understanding spouse too, who appreciates your knowledge in astronomy, and uh, that you have you've said in here that family comes first for you too. So that's great. Absolutely, and then I have to uh, really express my appreciation to to Marina uh, again. Without her support, um, you know, I think she's enjoyed um, you know seeing the the awards and the and the publicity, and uh, I think she's she's proud of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not easy when I'm trying to sneak out of bed at one o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, at least she knows where you're going. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. And I won't come back in drunk either. There there you go. Well, this has been uh, an honor to speak with you. It's been, uh, it was an honor to uh, present you with the award at the conference this year. It's definitely well-deserved. And uh, we thank you and the Alpo for your work. We really do. And I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, awesome, Tim. Yeah, very much appreciate. Uh, as I said earlier, the, the various relationships that I've, I've built up within within the Alpo, um, and uh, I'm hoping that will continue for many years. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Observer's Notebook. I again want to thank our special guest, Clyde Foster, for coming on the podcast today. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please give us a rating and a review. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, Spotify, and yes, the podcast is also available now on our YouTube channel. You can help support the podcast by donating to it by giving up to $35 a month where you will see producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I'd like to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer for their generous support. The link for the Patreon as well as the link for the Alpo is in the show notes. And if you want to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at observersnbpod. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.